Psalm read uh, Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I wonder if any of you here have ever had that experience where you're watching the news and uh, there's a, a, a topic or a, a segment where uh, there's a story about a family going through some terrible tragedy and there's scenes and you see how, how traumatised the family are and as you're watching that, a little thought comes to your mind what if I have to go through something like that one day? And then you start thinking, you know, is that something that God would let happen in my life? And then we start thinking, boy, if God did, would I still trust him? Okay, would I still be sure that he loves me if something like that could happen? Well, here's another example. Maybe uh, you hear a, you know, the latest prominent Christian leader, perhaps, who has uh, abandoned the Lord. You know, someone who served faithfully, and then, for whatever reason, perhaps they were going through some personal struggle that no one really knew about, and then it became too much. They gave up in despair. And we look at that and think, if that could happen to that person, could that happen to me? You know, and if it did, would I still be sure God loves me? See, there can be these kinds of fears that can trouble us from time to time. And uh, it can actually have us questioning whether we really are secure. You know, whether we really are safe in God's love. And so how do we deal with those kinds of fears? Well, that's what we have uh, here in Romans 8. Here, here's a passage that actually addresses the deepest fears that we can have about being separated from God's love. And it shows us that, there, that nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Uh, this passage in Romans 8, it comes at the end of, of you know, a chapter in the book of Romans which is celebrating the assurance of salvation that we have in Christ 
And so you get to the very summit of that chapter, you know, the highest point, and Paul just breaks out into this victorious celebration of how secure we are in Jesus. And uh, as he uh, asks these questions and then gives these you know, rapid-fire answers, he's really summing up everything that we've been looking at in Romans so far. And so here, here is the whole book of Romans really condensed. And the thing that it shows us is that whatever fear we have, whatever doubt we can possibly have, it's all answered. It's all taken away. It's silenced. All the fears are silenced when we see what we have in Jesus. Okay, so let's look at this passage by thinking about uh, three fears that threaten to, to, or threaten our confidence in God's love. Three fears that threaten our confidence in God's love. And let's see how they're answered. So the first one uh, that Paul addresses is the fear of opposition. So that's in verses 31 to 32. Uh, Paul, he, he poses the question, uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay, who can be against us? And our first reaction to that might be, uh, well, we can think of lots of things that are against us. You know, for example, every week I get emails um, from people saying, you know, you've got to look at this YouTube video showing the latest attack on Christian values. And uh, every week I reckon I read at least one article uh, that's uh, showing how, uh, you know, the, the, the challenges that Christians face in our Western culture and many of the changes that are happening and, you know, how are we going to respond and uh, we know uh, that in some settings today, if we talk about our beliefs openly, what's going to happen? You'll get opposition. Okay, someone will shout you down. Uh, we worry about our children, don't we? You know, we think, boy, <laughs> we had enough challenges growing up. Then we look at what they're facing today and think, how are they going to survive? It's a real um, worry. <clears throat> and then we hear about... Uh, Real persecution, when we read in, in the news or, you know, the Barnabas uh, Fund, which um, is helping people in, in places where there is real persecution. And we hear that and we think, man, if that actually came to Australia, you know, if, if we lost our homes because we're Christians, you know, if we're kicked out of, of jobs and, <clears throat> and all the things where we, you know, find our security in, if those things were taken away from us because we're Christians... How could we stand? You know, can the church in Australia survive persecution? It's a question we, we under, uh, wonder. And it's not just our changing culture that can be against us, but sometimes it can actually feel like our circumstances are against us. You know, if you have a debilitating disease, uh, if you have a disability, uh, even just the effects of ageing, sometimes it can feel like your body is against you. And then we wonder about, you know, that spiritual realm. You know, what about Satan? Isn't he like a, a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour? And so when Paul says, who can be against us, we quickly put out, up our hands and say, hey, I, I can give you a whole list of things that are against us, Paul. And Paul, he's not denying that Christians face a lot of opposition. I mean, he certainly had his own fair share of it that he, he lists in his letters. 
but here, what's Paul doing? He's putting all of the opposition you could ever imagine into gospel perspective. And what is the gospel perspective? It's this. God is for us. Okay, that's the main result of the gospel. God is for us. And think about it. This is not saying Jared is for us <laughs> or um, you know, Craig is for us. That sounds good, but no, no, God is for us. Okay, this is the, the one who rules heaven and earth. This is the one who made everything. This is the one who is sovereign over all things. The one who we were told last week is actually working all things together for our good. Right? If he is for you, who can be against you? Who could possibly prevail against you? It's impossible. God is for you. No opposition can prevail against God's people, right? Because we have someone on our side who is more powerful than all the opposition put together. And, and in fact, what we actually see, if we think about it in light of last week, you know, that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, we actually see that any opposition that we have in life Anything that can oppose us, anything that can shout us down or, or try to uh, undermine or attack, do you know what any opposition can achieve in the life of a believer? The very opposite of what it's trying to achieve. Okay, Think about Joseph's brothers. Joseph could have said, you know, hey, I can think of ten, ten things that are against me, ten older brothers who sold me into slavery, and yet at the end of his life, when he saw how it all unfolded, what, what did he say? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Okay, And in that statement, he sums up how all of evil and all of opposition, all that it can achieve for God's people, is God's ultimate purpose. Okay, To work all things together for our good. Okay, If God is on your side, no one can ultimately oppose you. <clears throat> and so the real question is not, um, you know, what are the things that, that trouble us? The real question is, how can we be absolutely sure that God really is on our side? And most people, when they think about, how do I know God is for me? A lot of people think that the answer to that is by looking at circumstances, you know, looking at the things that are going on in your life. So, uh, for example, if um, you know, we look at our good things, we look at the, how comfortable we are in life, uh, how healthy we are, we look at uh, some recent success we've enjoyed, we look at all of, all of these things and conclude, God must really be for me, because look at how much he is blessing me. Uh, we can even do that as a church. You know, we can say, you know, look at all the people who attend, look at the nice freshly painted building. Uh, we put on events and people actually turn up Oh, look at how successful, you know, God must really be for us. But there is a major problem with judging God's favour based on our circumstances. Because what happens when the circumstances change? What happens when your health takes a major turn for the worse? What happens if you're made redundant or if you're bereaved? Uh, what happens if persecution does break out? And all of those things that we fear happens. Okay, if we base our confidence on God's favour, on how much he's blessing us, how, how good things are going in our lives, as soon as that changes, what happens? 
we start to doubt. We begin to worry, well, maybe God is not for us after all. But see, that's not the way you measure whether God is for you. The way you measure God is for you is by what Paul says in the very next verse. See, look at verse 32. He who did, did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Okay, this is how you know God is for you. You look at the cross. Okay, you look at how he did not spare his own son. And notice how Paul puts that word, his own. Okay, this is, this is God's most valuable treasure, his own son. And he didn't spare him, didn't hold him back. He gave him up completely. What does that mean? Well, this, this doesn't make any sense unless we remember the, the very first, uh, well, the first three chapters of Romans. And the first three chapters of Romans were all about seeing our condition in our sin. Okay, that because of our disobedience, because of our idolatry, because of our rebellion, that we, are rightly, we rightly deserve God's wrath for our sin. We deserve to be shut out of his presence for all of eternity. Now, we, we deserve to be condemned on, on judgment day for our sin. And yet here we're reminded of the gospel, that God, he didn't hold back his son, he gave him up <clears throat> so that all of the, the wrath that we deserve for our sin was all put on Jesus. So we can now go free of that. We can be saved. There's no wrath left for us. <clears throat> and that's how you know God is completely for you. When you know that Christ took your place, faced your judgment on that cross. That's how you know God is for you. And see, Paul's logic is, if the Father was willing to do that with his own Son, do you think he will ever change his mind about you. Okay, if he was willing to pay that price to save you, do you think he will ever go, I'm sick of you now, get lost? Of course not. In fact, Paul says, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, God has made many promises to us. He has promised us to, to uh, be with us through all of our life, He's promised to conform us to Christ, to give us an inheritance of a new heavens and a new earth. All of these things. And we look at all that and say, you know, maybe God won't keep his promise. What? What are we thinking? Look, he's given his own son. That's the hardest thing. He's done it. So all these other things, it's easy. Of course he's going to come through with them. Whatever we need to, to stand firm in our Christian life, whatever we need to face opposition without giving up, God will give it to us. He will give us all things. Okay, because we, when we, we're confident of it because he's already done the hardest thing. He's given up the greatest thing, his own son. And so here it is. The whole world can be against you. The whole world could oppose you. But what can it achieve? Nothing. <laughs> because God is on your side. And that's how, that's how we know we can endure the fiercest opposition. Okay, if you look back through history and you read the stories of those uh, men and women who were martyred for their faith and you think, how on earth could they do it? 
How could they stand there being taunted, being told, if you just recant, you'll be set free? And they refuse. How could they do it? Where did they find that strength? The cross. Okay, God is for me. Let anyone do whatever they want. It cannot hurt me ultimately because I'm safe in Christ. That's how you do it. And so that's the answer to our fear of opposition. If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, There's a, a second fear, though, that Paul addresses in this passage, and that is the fear of accusation. And the fear of accusation, it's really what's behind these next two questions uh, in verses 33 to 34. Uh, So the first question that Paul asks is, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And then in verse 34, he says, who is to condemn? And these two questions are related because they're questions that you would find in a law court. Uh, the, The picture here is standing before a judge and charges are being brought against you And the big question is, will any of those charges stick? Okay, will any of those charges condemn you? And uh, that might sound a little bit theoretical at first, until we think about it a little bit more, and then we realise, actually, this is is a fear that all of us um, do struggle with from time to time. And the reason is, is because we continue to sin. Okay, we're not free from the presence of sin yet. That comes at the end. And because we continue to sin, sometimes we can worry that our sins could actually undo what Christ has done for us. And uh, there can be times actually when, when we actually feel like the ongoing struggle with sin will actually get the better of us. You know, if I was to ask you, is there a particular sin in your life that really troubles you? Now, is there a particular sin that that causes deep distress? And I'm guessing most of you here can think about that straight away, what it is. And perhaps you fear that you haven't made the kind of progress that you should have made in putting that sin to death. And and so you can have this fear that that perhaps that, that one sin is going to be your undoing on Judgment Day. Or here's another factor that, that comes into it. See, the more we grow in Christ, the more sensitive we actually become to our sin. It's part of the, the Holy Spirit's work in us of conforming us to Christ. He actually shows us how deep our sin is. And as we grow and, and we realize uh, how deep the roots of sin go in our hearts, you know, we might have put away all of the real obvious things, you know, the real offensive things. We've long ago put those things away. But now we see the sins behind the sins. We see the deeper things like the fear of people, like the self-absorption, like the, the pride, the, the power lust, uh, the hypocrisy. We see these things in our hearts. And just, just to think about one example, um, you know, take people-pleasing. People-pleasing, we, we know that is a major threat to our integrity. Uh, we know that that dishonors God when we give in to the fear of man. And what happens is, you know, we might go through the day, have all these kinds of conversations with people, and then we go to bed at night and we kind of play through the conversations and we realize that 
in all the things we said, there, were, there was exaggerations, there was, um, you know, we said things that, that weren't exactly true, but kind of made ourselves look a little bit better or sound a little bit better than we really are. And we realize, man, this, this sin of people-pleasing, it's just, it taints everything. It's just got its tentacles on everything. And, you know, you can feel really defeated. And there can be times when, uh, when, when that, that struggle, it just seems overwhelming. It seems like you'll never be able to get rid of it. And so there can be this lurking fear that maybe our own failings will in fact condemn us. And then on top of that, we, we have in Revelation uh, chapter 12, there's someone called the accuser. And it says that the accuser accuses believers day and night before our God. You've probably experienced that. Have you, have you ever found yourself thinking... How could you call yourself a Christian given what you've just done? Okay, surely that's one too many times with God. Okay, surely forgiveness has run out for you. Have you ever found yourself thinking that? Have you ever questioned, you know, how could God accept someone like you given what you've just done? Where does that come from? Okay, there's, there's an accuser who wants to accuse you and, and make you feel like uh, there's no way God could accept you. Well, what's the answer to all these fears? The fear of accusation. What is the answer when we fear that the charges brought against us will in fact stick? Or, or how do we quieten that, that lurking fear that maybe on Judgment Day the verdict is going to be out, condemned? How do we silence those fears? Well, look at the answer to the questions. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And what does Paul say? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. Okay, what, what's Paul doing? He's pointing us again to the cross. Because Jesus went to the cross, he was punished for all of our sin. Okay, all of, the, all of the sin, you know, even the people-pleasing. He was punished for that. And therefore, God the judge has already declared the verdict over your life. And do you know what the verdict is when you put your trust in Jesus? The verdict for you is righteous. Okay, no condemnation. You are righteous on account of the work of Christ. That's what justification means. See, the verdict of Judgment Day, it's already in. And it's righteous. And so if God says, you are righteous in His sight, it does not matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter how, if anyone lays charges against you or condemns you. It doesn't matter if your own heart condemns you. If God says you are righteous in his sight, then it's over. The verdict's in. Nothing to fear. You don't have to fear accusation. That's why um, Revelation 12 that talks about the accuser accusing God's people day and night, the very next verse in Revelation 12 says that the accuser has been thrown down. And it says that God's people have conquered him, how? By the blood of the Lamb. Okay, that's how you silence the accuser. You know, those thoughts, how could God ever accept me given what I've just done? 
No, no, look to Christ who was punished for that, what you've just done. Christ has paid for it. And therefore, the accuser has nothing to say against you anymore. His, his accusations can't stick. Um, but notice there's also another encouragement here. In verse 34, when Paul says, who is to condemn? He says, Christ Jesus. Right? Jesus is actually the judge. And uh, he's died to pay for our sin. But more than that, he was also raised, who is at the right hand of God. This is verse 34. Who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus right now is interceding for us. That means he speaks on our behalf. Or to put it another way, he, he speaks in our defence. And uh, now, what does that actually mean? There's a lot of confusion about Jesus uh, interceding for us. Uh, because it can almost sound like, you know, we picture the Father and Jesus, you know, the Son at the right hand of the Father, and, um, you know, we sin... And then the father's like, ah, oh, I'm going to get them for that. And the son quickly steps in, no, 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 no. Remember, I died for them. It's all good. And the father's like, oh, yeah. It's okay. All good. It's nothing like that. <laughs> um, what does it mean that Jesus intercedes for us? This is actually God's way of, of, of telling us that his favor is for us in an ongoing personal way okay it's not just that at the cross it was all done and finished but in an ongoing way God is constantly affirming his favor toward us in this intercession of Christ you know it's like Jesus just his presence being being uh, there at the right hand of the father now the father looks at him and he sees that what Christ has done it's finished and he sees all of his people in Christ and, and so, he, he, you know, there's this constant communion between the Father and the Son. The, the Son is saying, you know, these are all mine. I've paid for all of their sin. And it's just this way of assuring us that it's a personal, constant affirmation of you in Christ. Okay, that's what you have in, in Jesus' intercession for you. And so, therefore, there's just no way any accusation can condemn you. You've really got nothing to fear. Uh, that's why I absolutely love that song that we sang. You know that second song? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt within, what do I do? Upward I look and I see him there who put an end to all my sin. You know, because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the uh, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Okay? Brilliant song, that is. Okay, so because of the work of Christ, we know that God is for us. Uh, we know that no one can ultimately be against us. We know that no one can condemn us. So we don't have to fear any opposition. We don't have to fear any accusation. But there's a third one that Paul deals with in the rest of the passage. And this is the fear of separation. The fear of being separated from God. So verse 35, uh, Paul, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he mentions um, some things that we worry can. Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. 
Now, Paul, he really is getting at a deep fear that many Christians have that you can go through something in life and it's going to be so traumatic and so difficult that we worry that we will actually give up in despair. And we'll just assume, well, God obviously doesn't care about us anymore and, and so we'll just we'll give up. And when you look at the list, you can see that, yeah, these, these really are experiences that can, can do that. You know, we really do fear if these were to happen. So just look at those first two, tribulation or distress. Tribulation, that's any experience that puts pressure on your life, you know, crushes you. And distress, it's the same thing, but rather than something that comes from the outside, it comes from within, you know, a crushing feeling from within. And so what does that look like? Well, just imagine, what's the worst thing that you could ever imagine happening to you? The worst thing you could ever face. That's what tribulation and distress is. And so it's pretty easy to think about if you're a parent, the worst thing you could ever imagine is losing a child. Or if you enjoy um, being active, you know, the worst thing is losing your abilities. Uh, if you're someone who has worked hard all of your life uh, to, to achieve something, and you know, imagine if that was just taken away overnight. You just feel absolutely crushed. But see, if you had to face your biggest fear, do you think you would be able to endure it, convinced that God still loves you? Do you reckon that could happen? Because sometimes you know, we face things in life that are really trivial, and you know, we feel like God's abandoned us. You know, we, we can't sleep one night, then we go to work, it's a terrible day, get stuck in traffic, and we feel, man, everything's against us. Why has God given up on me? And then we worry, boy, if I, if I react like that over something so trivial, then what happens if I have to really go through suffering? How will I ever survive? You know, it can be this deep fear. And Paul lists persecution, uh, which has been attacked for your faith. He, he, he lists famine and nakedness. That's losing all of your money and possessions. He, he talks about danger or sword, which is being killed. And the question is, what if being a Christian means that all of these things would have happened to us one day? Uh, the fact that he quotes Psalm 44 at this point is to remind us that we we're almost to expect it because Psalm 44 is a psalm about God's people suffering in the world. You know, he says, as it's written, for your sake... See, for God's sake, you know, we belong to God. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So he's reminding us that persecution, it's expected if you belong to God. You know, we've largely been shielded from it for so long, but who knows uh, how quickly that could change. But can, can you go through that still convinced that God loves you? What's the answer? Well, look at verse 37. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Notice what Paul says there. He doesn't say, after all of these things, we're more than conquerors. And he could say that. Because one day Jesus is going to come again and renew the world. And so there will be no more uh, distress or, or tribulation or persecution or famine and so on. When Christ comes again, all of those things will be a history. And so Paul could say, hey, we're more than conquerors after 
<laughs> After all these things, we're more than conquerors. That's true. But Paul says, no, no, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors. So what is he saying? Again, the context is, a, is the key because the context was telling us that God is so powerful that he can work all of these things in verse 35 together for our good. These are the very means that God uses to transform us into the likeness of his son. They're the very pathway to glory. Okay, that's why you're more than a conqueror. It's not that just one day you'll um, be done with them, but actually these things become the very pathway to being with Christ. More than a conqueror in all these things. But what is the guarantee of this? And notice at the end of verse 37, Paul says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. He doesn't say through him who loves us, even though that's true, but he talks about a single past action where God has demonstrated once and for all that he loves us completely. And what is that? Again, it's the cross. The cross is how God has demonstrated his love. And so again, Paul, he's drilling into us. We don't measure God's love by our circumstances. Because as soon as we do that, we start playing that game. You know, with the um, flower, you know, you pluck the petal. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me. That's what happens when you try to work out whether God loves you based on circumstances. But when you look to the cross, what do you see? It it's never changes. Okay, God has demonstrated once and for all, I love you. I will never leave you. You can never be separated from me. Why? Because his own son was separated for him. If Christ was separated from the Father at the cross, th th he did that so that we don't have to be, so that we can be safe forever. Which is why Paul ends this by saying, for I am sure, verse 38, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Paul says, I am sure. And the question today is, what about you? Are you sure that God loves you? What's the answer? The cross, the cross, the cross. Every time, any fear you have, the answer is always going to be the cross of Jesus. Because that's the event at the very centre of history, the very centre of God's plan that says, I love you. And nothing will change that. No opposition, no accusation, no separation can touch you because you are eternally safe in the arms of Jesus. Jesus.